0: Good news. Welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. Happy Mother's Day to you all of the female gender, and we need you. We'd be a mess without you. And so we hope you have a good family day today. If you've lost your mom in the last year, it's a tougher day maybe. Uh, maybe you don't have the best memories. But uh, regardless of all that, we have been given life and uh, by God ultimately and uh, certainly by those who brought us into the world. So it's a, good, it's a good day just to be thankful and enjoy being alive and taking what life is. Take a moment a connection card. If you haven't done that, put it in the bulletin. If you'll put that in the the basket when it's passed later, we really appreciate that. Welcome to our guest today. We are glad you're here to join with us today in this time of worship and honoring our God together. God is so good to us, and uh, we have much to be thankful for. So we're going to press on. If you are new to us in our ministry area... And would like to know more about us in the hub. Is the next big room over. Uh, there's a connection center there. We'd love for you to stop by on your way out at the end of the service today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for awakening us to what life is. And we thank you, Father, that there is somewhere to plant, somewhere to build, some, some way to frame our lives so they will have substance and have meaning. So we're here together to love you, to be thankful to you, to learn, uh, to give you the position that you deserve in our lives. And so I pray that all of us join together, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy this journey and we'll value this journey that you've given us. Thank you for being in and among us today in Jesus' name, Amen hope you have your Bibles. First Peter chapter 2 is where we are. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or some device with you that you can follow along with. We've been dealing with uh, what it means that Jesus raised from the dead. What's the so what of Jesus' resurrection? What's it mean that we have been raised with Christ? That's what the whole issue is about these uh, several weeks that we're worshiping together. Verse 4, chapter 2 of Peter. As you come to him, the living stone Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Mockler. He's an interesting guy. He's a, a man who has, who has uh, he, he, he achieved greatness in the business world. His name was Colton Mockler. He got his degree from Harvard Business School, got his MBA, and then he went on to work for Gillette Corporation. And he worked himself up the ladder until he was CEO. He became this model CEO, a model of success. And Forbes Magazine did a piece on him in the beginning of 91. And they sent him an advanced copy of the magazine. He's on the cover, and it's... uh, it was January 25th of 91. He called all the, his executives together to the boardroom, and they celebrated his accomplishments that he attained uh, 16 years of being CEO. And they, of course, applauded him, celebrated him. Mockler walked down the hallway into his office, closed the door, and dropped dead of a massive heart attack, clutching onto the Forbes magazine. Now, my question for you today is, if you dropped dead today, what would people say you were clutching on to? What's the thing that drives you in your life? What's the one thing that you live for, the one thing that really gets you going and gets you moving, gets your blood circulating and moving? And I want you to know that if, if, it's, if it's anything, there are lots of good things that can do that for us, but if it's, if it's outside Jesus Christ being number one, your life is going to have all kinds of disappointments because that's simply the nature of this temporary world. It has great gains. It has lots of losses. It has everything in between. He's the only one that's constant. Now, many years ago, in 63 AD to be exact, the apostle Peter wrote this letter to some people in the first century who were believers in Jesus, but Nero is the emperor in Rome, and he's making life miserable for Jesus' followers. Anybody who was a Christian was severely persecuted. And because of this intense persecution, I told you before that he would, Nero would even take Christians and burn them alive and light his gardens in the evening. I mean, his, his, his persecution was severe. And so they had scattered many places. And so because of that, Peter knew that these people were in danger of losing their grip. They were losing their sense, they were going to lose their sense of well-being and who they are in Christ if they started looking at their circumstances and took their eyes off of Christ, the center of their faith. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them. He writes about a life of purpose, a life on purpose. And he gives, he, he, he helps them hang on and not only just hang on, but thrive in the midst of these unpredictable situations in their life. Now, you're in church today. Why in the world would I address this to church people? Why do we spend time here? Because we're vulnerable people. And any of us at any time are in danger of losing our grip as well. Now, maybe you have not surrendered your life to Christ Maybe you're not sure you ever want to, or He doesn't even intrigue you, and that's another subject. But this, this message today is mostly for those of us who are in Christ, where Christ is Lord, and because of situations, circumstances, whatever it is, we can, be, uh, we can just be teetering on the edge of losing it all, of turning back and forgetting this and going back to the world. Our whole life journey is like that. Now, as we grow deeper in the Lord, it's less likely to happen as we, as we demonstrate, as we live faithfulness, as our faith grows deeper. But there's an evil one out there, and I assure you, he wants to destroy every one of us. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your marriage. He, he wants to undercut what you're, what you're doing in life that you give glory to God for. He wants to do that. And it doesn't take much to get you all track, any of us. You get your feelings hurt at church. Well, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Or, or you don't agree with leadership. You don't like that preacher. You don't like, you don't like uh, what's happening. You don't like that worship. You don't like I'm tired or my schedule's too busy. Whatever it is, anything can come in and threaten your growth in Jesus Christ. And, then, and you lose your grip. You lose your grip. And so this is a text that helps us remember who we are who we are, what God calls us to. Three things. First, we are living stones exercising ministries. Verses 4 and 5 say, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, the Bible also compares us to a body, members of a body under one head, the brain, Jesus, it also says we're like a bride, and we have a bridegroom, uh, Jesus Christ. But here, we're a building. We're a spiritual house, and we're many stones going into this house. Now, of course, there's one who's the living stone. Jesus Christ is the living stone because he's been raised from the dead. Now, we are, we are going to yet see death, but he saw death, and he's the only one who has come alive and stayed alive. Never to die again. He's our Lord. 007 several years ago said diamonds are forever. It's the most expensive rock you can have. A diamond ring. Some of you ladies have a great diamond ring on. Now that is just a rock. You know that. It's just an expensive rock. It's only a rock. That's all. I try to convince my wife all the time. That's why hers is so small because it is just a rock and it's passing away like everything else. She hasn't bought into that yet. Uh, There is one stone that is the most genuine of all and the most lasting that supersedes any of man's radiant rocks, and that is this living stone, the only permanent living stone. Second, he is a precious stone, the text tells us. He's more valuable than gold, more valuable than silver. He is God's son, the chosen one. Peter quotes the Old Testament. He says in verse 6, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The Bible says, whatever sins you've ever committed, when you come to him, because of Jesus' death on the cross, he washes all that sin away. And it says, he will remember your sins no more. In other words, he will never throw it up in your face again. Do you ever worry about that with your kids? I can think of things, ways I've disciplined my kids in the past, and boy, I just scarred them for life, you know. Or I, I I remember when the kids were little. I don't know where Diana was, but uh, uh, I took the kids to the Mooresville pool. It's before we had the rec center when they were little, and went to the Mooresville pool. And it was break time, so I set them on the edge of the pool, and then I went about swimming and turned my back, and Chelsea went under. She slipped off the wall and went underwater, and I'm just having a good old time. And I turn around, and she's struggling underwater. And Justin noticed her, and he jumped in and got her out, and she's gagging and coughing and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, I got reprimanded by the lifeguard, as I should have, of being a terrible parent. And, uh, you know, it's one of those days I thought, well, she's so little, she'll never remember that. Two months ago, we're together as a family. She said, Dad, you remember that day you almost let me drown? (laughs) We as parents want to do well, but you know we mess up. We mess up with our kids. God never messes up with us. He never messes up with us. We never have to worry about Him and what He does. And you know, whenever we mess up, we don't have to worry about Him reminding us of our mess ups. He'll never hold it against us. He won't remind us of our sins anymore. What a great place to be in the Lord. He's a precious stone to us. And for those who put their trust in Christ, He's also a saving stone or a, a stepping stone. Through whom we gain life and we gain heaven. And we are, we, are, we are not qualified to bridge the gap. There's no way you and I can be good enough to go to heaven. We need someone to plead our case. And that's what the cross is all about. He who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He'll, he, he, he will ne- we will never be disappointed. He'll never, he'll never be embarrassed. And we, he won't embarrass us. He's never going to let us down on the judgment day. He is not going to give us what our sins deserve. Not ever going to do it. So we put our trust in him. Everything else we clutch is fading away. I don't care what you're going for. Now, should you be going for something? Well, sure. I'm not saying don't have ambitions. Sure, we have dreams for our lives. We want to do well. We want to do well in school. We want to have a, have a college degree or you want to have a technical degree of some sort. You want to, you want to be able to support your family. You want to have promotions in your family. You, you want to have adventures in life. You want to trips you go to. You have your bucket list for things you want to do all your life. It's great to have all those things. But they just have to be in the right position. You get that, don't you? I have to remind myself of that all the time. It's good to have those ambitions, but they can't come in front of Jesus Christ, who is my Lord. Because James teaches us in, in, in the scripture, if the Lord's will, I'll do this and that, or go to this, that city or that city, or do that business, or do that business. It has to be according to his will for my life. So he, is all, he alone is able to keep us from falling in this whole journey. That's what Jude says in the New Testament. Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize how great that is? If you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter who condemns you. It doesn't matter who you're not pleasing. It doesn't matter whose judgment is on your life. When you're in Jesus Christ, when you are clutching on him first and foremost, it doesn't matter. There's one opinion that matters. There's one person whose opinion of you matters, and that is Jesus Christ. And you know when you have that freedom, you, can, you are free to become who you want to be, and who God wants you to be. He's also a stumbling stone to those who won't believe. The text says, now to, the, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to follow, to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. You know, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, if you're here today, and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, this describes you. And that's not to be harsh, this is just the truth of the word. If you are, if you are not aligning yourself with God's desire to have you in the family of God, and not surrender to Him, then He's a stumbling block to you today. And for many of us in here, He has been a stumbling block in the past, where we have not wanted to believe everything He has to say, or who He is, or submit to His authority. And that's the problem with most of us, Right? We don't want an authority figure in our life. We don't, want, we don't want anybody to tell us how to live and what to do. We don't want that. So some people that trip over this call to surrender or the call to discipleship or the identity of Jesus being the son of God, that's, that's too hard. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what well, must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, I want you to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And the man went away unhappy, unwilling to do it. And for him, that was a stumbling block that day. That command was too difficult. Now, lots of people start coming to church because, because of the benefits. M- many of us start with God that way. Uh, and God will take us that way for whatever reason. You know, but, you know some people, I mean, as kids, you go to church because the girls are good looking. You know, Or, or uh, God will take that. You know, Or I know single people, well, I need to find somebody good, man, I'm going to start going to church. Okay, God will take that. Or, you know, you, you want peace in your life. okay. Or my life's not working. I'm a mess. Okay, I think I'll start going to church. Okay. And, and God will get us to church, get us to his people in a number of ways. But you'll never stay with him for those reasons. Because life isn't always easy, even when you're a Christian, right? It's not always simple process. It's not always easy to work through the hard teachings of Jesus. It's not always easy to surrender. It's not easy to do what he commands all the time. I want to do what my flesh tells me to do. I don't feel like obeying. Right? Are you with me? Because it's not always simple, is it? No. But we come to him anyway. People come to church and they're here for a while and they say, you're never going to get me in that baptistry. 10% of my income? Yeah, Right? Life group? You want me to sit in a circle with 10 or 12 other people and talk about the Bible? I don't think so. With my life demands, you expect me to have a ministry and serve somewhere? Mm -hmm. And so eventually, people start drifting for a number of reasons. Ticked off at God. Uh, It's too hard. It's too serious. Being a disciple is too deep. Too fanatical for that. I don't mind going to church, but don't go any further with me. The call to change my life is too severe? Somebody said they trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. Most people fall. But despite so, so many who turn away, Jesus is the cornerstone. That's what the text says. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's rejected, but he remains the foundation for life. The Bible says even though he was a Jew, he came to Jews, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. Because Jesus didn't match the kind of Savior they wanted. Most of us have want a Savior of our own making. One, we want to define God and write job, God's job description for us. And if he doesn't match the job description or the profile, then we've had enough. Now, it won't work that way. So people dis- the Jews discarded him on the cross, but God brought him back to life. And he made him the foundation stone of the church. Now, we have a cornerstone in our building it's worthless, basically. I remember the day we put it in there back in 94. It's kind of just a symbol. It's got stuff in it. I don't know what we put in it, but something. Some, somebody in the future will un, undo it at some great anniversary and look, oh, look at all this. And it doesn't mean anything, really. Uh, but in, in that day, in the first century, a cornerstone was imperative. They'd go to the quarry. They'd find the perfect stone that, that, that had the, the best right angle because it was out of that that straight walls were constructed for a good building. They, they, they depended on that. And so it's only a symbolic thing today, but today it's whatever that thing is you're clutching onto, Whatever that, whoever that person is, whatever that dream is, whatever that ideal is, whatever shape that looks like in your life, that's your cornerstone. And I tell you, if it's not Jesus Christ one day you will be put to shame. One day you will look at your house and realize I've got a mess on my hands. That's just not church language, friends. That, that just comes from the sensibility and the reasonability that we have a creator that we're answerable to. And he has loved us so much that instead of letting us continue building the way we've been building... He lets us start all over with a brand new cornerstone, Jesus. So, when that happens, we become these living stones. And he starts putting us together. And and every stone, we might say bricks. I don't see too many stone houses, but we understand bricks, don't we? It's the same idea. Okay, let's say you're a living brick today, okay? You're a brick. And every brick is important. A few years ago, I looked on my roof, and there were bricks loose on the chimney. Then, they were on my roof. So, you know what I did? I just stopped looking up. (laughs) It didn't bother me if I didn't look up. But eventually, I knew I had to do something, right? Because more bricks kept coming off. And if I didn't address that, I was going to have no chimney. And then I was going to have water in the house. I mean, I was going to have a mess on my hands, right? The whole... The whole structure would be compromised. Integrity would be compromised. It's true with bricks in your building, in your house. If there are loose bricks that are appearing, you got to take care of those or the integrity of the structure is compromised. Now, God is building a spiritual house. We are the living stones, the living bricks, all right? That means every brick is significant. And this is a problem with a large church. I like small churches, and I like big churches. And I've been in small churches, I've been in big churches, and there are advantages to both. When you're a big church, there's a lot more you can do together in unity. There are a lot more opportunities. The danger is you can be just a loose brick sitting out there in the crowd, and nobody notices. Or you think, if you don't do your part, somebody will do it. And you can get lost and hide in the crowd, and you think all is well. And friends, it isn't. If, if, you're, if you're not a living as a living brick, living stone, helping the structure of this spiritual house be, have a greater level of integrity, it's not yet the church God wants it to be. Now, you might not be a brick on the front porch. You may be under the eave or hidden, tucked away somewhere. But nevertheless, it's significant. It's a significant ministry. people all the time well I, I believe in God I believe in Jesus I just don't believe in organized religion or I don't believe in the church that's hogwash next to the scripture God God put you in community with people you have to be with people that's God's plan that's not man's idea that's God's idea otherwise you're like a tuba player with an orchestra or a wide receiver without a team you know, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a, it doesn't fit right. It impacts the whole structure and appearance. You're, in, you're significant. Matthew 16, Jesus said, on this rock, I build my church. You know, he is literally putting us together as members together, as, as parts together. All right, second, we are priests glorifying God. We are priests glorifying God. Whatever, whatever ministry you have in this, in this spiritual house, is unto the Lord, and it's a spiritual sacrifice, the text says. It's a spiritual sacrifice. That's what we do. In the Old Testament, the priesthood was set apart to be mediators between the people and God. And so they were consecrated. They made themselves holy to represent an unholy people before the Lord. That's what the nation even of of the Jews were. But these priests, these priests Uh, They they made sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, we don't need uh, people as priests today because we have one high priest, Jesus Christ, and we're all priests together. That's what the text is saying. We are one big priesthood. And everything we do for the Lord and for his people is a spiritual sacrifice. This worship service is a spiritual sacrifice. If you cut the grass this week, thank you very much, that was a spiritual sacrifice. Did you know that? If you picked up communion cups today and put them in the trash... That is a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. If you get communion ready, you do that. If you wash, bat, wash baptismal robes, if you uh, do the set up here, if you, whatever you do, whether it's public, private, what, it doesn't matter. It's a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. Richard Halverson was a former U.S. Um, chaplain of the U.S. Senate for years, and he also preached at Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland. And every week, this was his benediction for his church. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of His Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. What a great way to live. Every day where you are, you sense, God, this is where you have me right now. And so your life becomes a blessing Whoever you're around at that moment. Third, we are God's people witnessing to the truth. God's people witnessing to the truth. The Jews in the Old Testament were a chosen people. Verse 9 here says, You, church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. You're chosen by God, church. The Jews were chosen to be a people by which the other nations would know there's only one true living God. They were to be the light to all the other nations of the world. You today, us today, as God's church, we are spiritual Israel. We are the new Israel. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a race anymore. It's a people who belong to God. That's what that's what is telling us. So life, our lives are about getting other people to know that God wants them and this holy nation as well, to be this chosen people. That's what it's all about. Not just about going to heaven, but have life here that's worth getting up for every day. It means getting up and clutching onto him, knowing that he's got something for me today. He's already been where I'm going today. He's, He's orchestrating conversations for me. It's up to me whether I take advantage of them. But he's behind all of this. The problem is, friends, we are so daggone preoccupied with self, with self. I mean, that's, a, that's one of our main problems. We, it's all about us. If you don't think that, just the last time you went somewhere on a trip and you asked some say, hey, would you take a picture of our family right here? And you, take, you give them your smartphone, you take it back, and what's the first thing you look at? You. You don't care what everybody else looks like. You only care what you look like. And if you don't look, everybody else may look great. If you don't look, would you take another one? Right? Because that's the first thing we're drawn to is how we appear, what we look like, what our image is. That is so symbolic of our preoccupation with self over and over. No, it, life, life will not be fulfilling that way. We do two things. We do two things in this process of helping people know life that is really life. We do it by declaring His truth, and we do it boldly, yet we do it sensitively, graciously, kindly, uh, uh, carefully, boldly, yet all those other words. If you want to be bold, but you don 't know anything about those other words or what they may mean, the definition of them, look them up. You have to understand those other words before you speak boldly. Church has done a lot of damage, and also by living a distinctive life. we 've been called out of darkness to light. We earn the right by living the light. You earn the right to be heard by living the light of Christ in your life. We are watched. By how we play ball, how we do our work, how we take care of our house, how we interact with our kids and our spouses, how we do our business, the world watching. The world is not our home, friends. Don't get too cozy. Anybody here too cozy? You get too cozy and you get sloppy and you think this is the life. This is what life is about here and now and nothing be further from the truth. This is not our this is not our destination. You ever go on a plane trip? You know, you're, you fly on a jet somewhere, and, uh, and you land, and you know, that little ding goes, and boy, all those seatbelts come off. I mean, and some, some of these people, they don't wait till that. You know, it gripes me, and these people start undoing before it dings, you know. <laughs> you wait till the ding, and then everybody gets up, you know. Nobody says, can I have some more of those little pretzels? I just want 15 more minutes. You know, I just want to, I want to enjoy the, the, the sitting here on the plane for a while. No, you want to get off of that thing. Now, that experience, why? Because the, the plane isn't, that isn't the point. The point is the destination. And so on that trip, there's all kinds of stuff going on. You may have a great ride. Or you could sit by the most obnoxious person on the plane. Or you could be by the best person because they don't want to talk and you don't either. (laughs) Or maybe there's terrible turbulence. But the point is, it's a temporary journey anyway. And that life isn't life like that. I mean, sometimes you're surrounded by obnoxious people in your life. And sometimes you're surrounded by the kindest people in the world. And sometimes you go through a season of life that is filled with peace. And other times it's filled with turbulence. But you know, this world is not our home. We're heading to a great destination, and there's all kinds of experiences between here and there. Verse 12 says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The world disagrees with us. They fight against us. But one thing they have a hard time arguing against is a person who is a godly, compassionate life. A godly, compassionate life usually silences critics. I love the story of Dr. Albert Einstein. He was on a train trip going somewhere on a speaking engagement. And on the way, the conductor came around to get his ticket and couldn't find it. He's looking everywhere for his ticket, and he's he's frantically searching. And the conductor said, oh, don't worry, Dr. Einstein. You know, we know who you are. And so he goes on. He comes back, and Dr. Einstein's still at it, under his seat, in his luggage, just frantic. You know, and the conductor again says, look, look, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. We trust you. And Dr. Einstein said, "It's not a matter of trust. I don't know where I'm going." <laughs> do you know where you're going? I'm not talking about heaven or hell, although that's a good question too. But I mean, even today, do you know what your life is about? Do, do, do you, do you, is, it, is it coming together? Are you beginning to understand it more and more that you were created for God's own joy? You were created to be in a living relationship with your creator. If you fight against that throughout your life, you will always be hitting dead ends. And if you're in the church today, God's church today, we're always under attack by the evil one who wants to take us out. Don't let him do it. Keep Jesus Christ as your cornerstone and stay faithful to the very end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being our life and light today. There is no other God but you, and you are worthy, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.